At U.S. Bank, when we say we're in it with you, we mean it. Not just for the good stuff, the grand openings and celebrations, although those are pretty great, but for all the hard work it took to get there. The fine-tuning of goals, the managing of cash and workflows, and decision-making. We're in to help you through all of it. Because together, we're proving day in and day out that there is nothing as powerful as the power of us. Visit usbank.com to get started today. Equal housing lender. Member FDIC. Copyright 2024. U.S. Bank. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I've been wanting to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, coach. Call me 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. On a not-so-hot day for the averages, with the Dow slipping 320 points, S&P declining 0.91, but the Nasdaq losing 1.39%, and it was nasty. A lot of people worried that this market's got what we call bad breath. In other words, we've had a tremendous rally this year. But looking back, it's been surprisingly narrow. We hear so much about the handful of stocks that have been responsible for about half of the move in the S&P 500 since April. There you got to think Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Tesla, Alphabet. And somehow that's not sustainable. We either need to broaden the rally or everything goes down, as it did today for all but a few stocks with decent dividends and certain, albeit relatively less rewarding prospects. Now, I may be more sanguine about this situation than most. Because my chapel trust owns all of these big cap winners except Tesla. However, I understand that historically markets don't thrive when only a handful of stocks lead the averages, generating a lot of fear. I think that managers showed tremendous fear today that the move had at last gotten out of control and profit taking was therefore warranted, especially after the robust opening. Hence the brutal declines. And they were worse at one point today. Right now, though, I am of two minds about the situation. If you're managing money, you need to show your clients what you own at the end of the year, which means you really can't afford not to or stray far from those winning stocks. You might look like an idiot. Your investors might pull their money out. If you show your investors that you bought staples like Coca-Cola, which only worked well today, or travel stocks like the airlines or cruise lines, which only worked during the the interregnum between COVID strains, we have a much harder time to keep that cash under management. And that's because if you're a hedge fund that picked the wrong sectors, you're probably doing worse than an index fund that captured the strength of the averages. And there's always someone, some fiduciary in the room, who'll ask your clients, hey, why the heck do you pay these clowns such huge fees when you, you, you can just be in an index fund? Legit question, of course. I always emphasize to you that you should own and build out an index fund position before you pick any individual stocks. On the other hand, though, when a new year beckons, the leaders often get reshuffled, which would mean that these big tech winners... Well, they may not be as essential. Right now, though, as I told CNBC Investment Club members at our first meeting last week, my crystal ball for 2022 shows that you want to own shares of companies that do actual stuff, make actual things. You want tangible stocks, 
not conceptual stocks. This year, literally dozens of companies have been created by the Wall Street venture capital machine that addresses uh, that address stuff like uh, marketing and database management, even though we've already had better versions of the same things like Salesforce, Shopify, Oracle. And these much better, these better versions have much cheaper stocks. They trade on earnings, not tomorrow's sales. It takes a very special outfit like Snowflake or MongoDB, who's on tonight, to leap the new hurdle that I'm calling out. We've got dozens of companies that have been created to cash in on biotech fundraising. Sure, you can get lucky like the shareholders in Arena Pharma, which just caught a giant takeover bid from Pfizer, sent the stock up more than 80%. But the vast majority of these newly public stocks have been awful performers, just like their doppelgangers in the uh, management database business. Now, there are companies that are getting hit by the Omicron strain and all the other strains to come, assuming we don't get everyone vaccinated. The COVID Grim Reaper touches so many industries that even a traditionally recession-proof company like Coca-Cola can get hurt because it's got a big restaurant business. I'm picking on Coke. Got upgraded today. actually did well. But it shows you what, what I think is uh, limited prospects to make a lot of money there. Maybe we're making too much of an idea that only a smattering of stocks have let us hire. There are some great deal, great deal of winners away from those. Bank of America, Ford, Pfizer, put up tremendous performance. Financials, healthcare, transports, consumer discretionary, they've all done very well. It's just that they don't draw the same kind of attention as spectacular moves in Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Tesla, and Alphabet, all of which got a, get a huge boost every time more money comes in from an e-index fund, simply by virtue of their size. So I'm going to give you an analogy to try to make sense of all these different things. Many of you play fantasy football. Now, a huge percentage of you, including me, lost yesterday or have a slim hope tonight. And you're furious at yourselves for not making your league's playoffs. But if your fantasy team did make it, you probably had a handful of marquee players. You probably had some Apples and some Teslas and some Microsoft. You needed, as we say in the biz, studs. You needed your studs to, have, to be good enough that you have what we call a high ceiling, meaning they could go up and up because they're so talented. Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Tesla, and Alphabet are incredible studs with high ceilings, even if you may be hitting them now. If you drafted them, you did very well this year. They're the Dalvin Cooks from Minnesota, the Aaron Rodgers from Green Bay, the Leonard Fournette's from Tampa Bay. Players that just keep putting up amazing points. Unlike fantasy football, though, you can't pick up, you can pick up some Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, or Alphabet anytime. They're not locked up on some other guy's roster when you go in to try to get them. Now, here's what matters. At the professional level, money managers want to be in the best performers. So it's natural they want to show their clients that they own these big names, the big winners, which can be drafted at any moment, right? You don't get, they're not locked up. They can stream them. They can own them. The point is, no one asterisks a win in this business. No one says, if he had known NVIDIA or Alphabet, he would have been down this year. That's not said. And that's why I'm not so concerned with the concentration of winners. Just like fantasy football, these money managers are simply playing their studs. And today's profit-taking does not deter me from telling you to buy them. The fact that there are only a handful of stunning winners isn't much different than any other field of endeavor. Your people fret about the narrowness of this year's rally, but that has more to do with the sheer size of the big tech winners than anything else. I say, so what? The money either rotates to other groups and we get a broader market, or it stays with the studs and they keep winning. I don't see it going to the sidelines or flowing into losers. So you can fret all you want about the concentration of winners, but at the end of the day, it's not on my list of major worries. What am I concerned about? I'm concerned about the Federal Reserve, what they'll say on Wednesday. If I'm right, we might get a switch, sticking with the football metaphor moment, from a Fed chief who's like the affable Andy Reid to one who's Darth Vader Bill Belichick. In that new world, which I hope is not as dire as that comparison, we will indeed have fewer winners to pick from. There will still be studs, but the supporting cast will be smaller. Many other players won't be as productive. They might even go negative. 
So let's not panic now about a narrowness of the market. We can make money with a narrow market or one that has better breath. We just have to recognize that as long as we have good earnings, which we do, and we have a Federal Reserve that's not carpet bombing the economy, assuming that's still true on Wednesday, and I'm crossing my fingers, which doesn't really do much, then we'll just play our studs. And there'll be plenty of studs to pick from. The bottom line, don't go too far off the beaten path for now, yet. The anointed stocks tend to get, get a self-fulfilling boost from index fund buyers. The fringe players, these new IPOs that just came this year that are busts, on the other hand, they don't get more love from the index funds. And it'll be even harder for them if the Fed lowers the boom. Right now, we're sticking with the winners and the companies that make stuff and do things. Joe in New York. Joe. This is Joe from Long Island. Who Joe, what's up? I'll equate an entertaining host. Two oh, weeks ago in the New York Times... On page one, there was an article on type 1 diabetes uh, with a particular cure for it by Vertex, V-R-T-X. The individual who took the medication was, quote, cured from diabetes. He no longer had to take insulin, and it was was producing insulin. It seems like an excellent opportunity, and Vertex is not a spec stock. It's a mature pharmaceutical what do you think about it? Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, look, I looked at it, obviously, for cystic fibrosis like everybody else. But there does seem to be something going on here with what you're talking about, with a proof of concept. And I like what I'm hearing. I think it's turned the stock around. I think you're right to be in it. This is a not speculative pharma company as opposed to a biotech that you may get lucky on. I think it's a good call by you. Let's go to Rick in Ohio, please. Rick. Hello, Jim. I'm Rick. a longtime fan. I've been following you. read a couple of your books. My question is, I know you got to follow the numbers, but don't you have to have a gut conviction about these stocks? And I'm questioning IBM since they spun off KD. I know KD doesn't have no track record, track, right. a track record. What do you think IBM's going to do? Okay, well, you know, you've, I'm, got, I'm you've got Kindrel, which is that spinoff, and that's run by Martin Schroeder, old season hand. And then you've got IBM that's run by Arvind Christian. And what I would suggest to you is that this has got to be a difficult quarter. The companies are splitting up. Who knows what's going on? I think if you do like, I, like IBM, and I'm always intrigued by it, you have to wait to see this quarter. Because this quarter could be a, a bit of a mess uh, with this kind of, a, well, let's just say split off that is very hard to fathom. When we see it and we're done, then we'll make a decision. Nothing now. But I don't want people to panic over the narrowness of the market. You can make money with a narrow market, or you can make one with better breath. For now, though, there are plenty of studs to pick from, and you stick with your studs until year end uh, and even through Wednesday's Fed meeting. But we're going to have to pin it if the Fed is Bill Belichick and not Andy Reid. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, SVB Financial announced today it will acquire media research firm Moffitt Nathanson. I'm getting the latest in the deal with the head of the research company, and I've got to tell you, I like this combo. Then MongoDB fell along with the broader market today after surging last week on earnings. I'm breaking down the latest quarter and getting a read on the space with the company's top brass. Remember, that's one of two. Snowflake the other. That can maybe buck this uh, tremendous pressure down on these high flyers. And last week, Starbucks baristas in one Buffalo, New York location voted to unionize. I'm going straight to the source. Let's hear what they have to say. Stay with Craig. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This morning, we learned about an intriguing small merger in the world of boutique banking. SVB Financial, that's the parent company of Silicon Valley Bank, arguably the premier banking partner for uh, Silicon Valley, as well as SVB Lerink, the boutique investment bank, is buying Moffitt Nathanson. That's the tech-focused equity research firm that I've relied on for many stories. SVB Financial is an interesting company. Three years ago, they bought Lerink for investment banking exposure, and now they're picking up Moffitt Nathanson, home of Craig Moffitt, Michael Nathanson, and then Lisa Ellis, who, for my money, are three of the best research analysts on Wall Street. They've got others, too. I don't mean to single them out. This stock's up already. Uh, SIVB's up about 75% for the year. I wouldn't be surprised if it got more room to run. So let's take a closer look. We with Craig Moffat. He's the founding partner of Moffat Nathanson. Learn more about the deal. Mr. Moffat, congratulations and welcome to Mad Money. Thank you so much. Great to be here. All right, so this is the kind of thing, it's a dream come true for a lot of people watching who want to be research analysts. They want to have their own shop. They, don't, they know it's tough out there. How did this come about? Because I know that you don't just wake up one day, be Moffat Nathanson and be really successful. You worked at this. We, we worked at it a long time. Look, I, it, now, first, I was incredibly lucky when I started Moffat Nathanson to partner with Michael. Um, Michael Nathanson uh, was best around in media. I was doing telecom at the time, and so it was a perfect fit. Um, we built the business, and we were also really lucky when we added Lisa Ellis, who, for my money, is, is one of the best analysts I've ever seen. So it was built with a lot of talent, and um, in Knockwood, we had a lot of success. Now, what happens? Were you, what were you drawn to here? Because independence is a terrific thing. You're now part of a larger operation. Yeah, I'll tell you, this was a dream fit, Jim. The, you know, in, in tech businesses like the ones we cover, the innovation economy is the whole story, right? It's where all the value creation has come from. And it's where all, all of the important forces are that are shaping the industry for the big companies we already cover. And so... To get to partner with with SVB, which has this fantastic front end with all these deep relationships with Silicon Valley, and they had been building a a, a tech banking franchise with um, really talented bankers like Jason Auerbach and and had built a team of 50 people. 
And the, the missing piece was, was research. And so to put that whole chain together was a dream fit. It was like a lock and a key. And we, and we looked at this and said, boy, this is a fantastic opportunity for the clients of both businesses. We get to show them new opportunities, get to combine all these pieces together. And, and at the same time, it, it creates for, for us um, th- this potential to build a, a banking powerhouse that I think um, can be best in class and, and number one in the world in technology banking. But let me let me push back on that. Uh, will you have to do some things that you I mean, I've always felt that the honest brokers in the world are you guys. I know you're out for, who, for whoever uses it. Uh, whoever is the client is, in this case, someone trying to pick the right stocks, make more money. Will that change? No, of course not. But, but, but here's what we can do, Jim. We, we now get a window into all these innovative companies in Silicon Valley um, that we wouldn't get to meet otherwise. And it gives us a vantage point to really understand the forces that are shaping the industries we cover. And it'll give us the opportunity to identify um, new new businesses to invest in for our clients, where where these new early stage growth companies are potentially really really powerful value generation machines um, that we just wouldn't get the insight into um, without this combination. But will we still be able to rely on you for for what to do with Comcast, which a parent company this network, ATT or right. Verizon? You'll still be doing that, right? Of course, of course. There's there's no change to that. And I would argue we'll be much better positioned to really understand the forces that are shaping the industry because all of these industries are being transformed by innovation and all the innovation is coming from small companies. And so it was we identified it internally at Moffat Nathanson as something that we just had to get better at as as in our next stage. And this this is sort of a a giant leap forward for well, us. Let, let me ask you, Bob, got you as I'm looking at some of your research. I mean, U.S. wireless from bad to worse, broadband, the great deceleration. Is there anything that can turn around a force like an ATT, which just seems does seem to go down every day of Verizon? Yes, a Comcast been a tough time if you're a Comcast. Is there anything on the horizon that could change it, considering all these new young companies that you're talking about and how they can partner with them to get things going again? Yeah, you know, I, I got to tell you, you know, you and I, I think, have have taken turns on who can uh, who can be more negative about AT&T. Right. I actually finally upgraded AT&T to neutral and, and uh, because it had gotten cheap enough that I said I can't continue maintaining a sell rating on the stock. Um, and it has continued to go down, even to my surprise, it now trades it at significantly less than half of its historical market multiple. But even then, I think the best you can say is that maybe there is a short-term trade based on how negative the sentiment is. But I don't know that you can really call it a long-term attractive investment, even at these valuations, because the wireless business is a very slow-growth business or no-growth business, and AT&T is almost certainly going to be a share loser in that. So it's really hard to see how some of these big companies – compound value over time. I, I don't think that's the same story, by the way, for the cable stocks. I think cable stocks, while the broadband business is decelerating, they actually have a really interesting position growing in wireless. And I think um, th- there is another leg of growth for the cable stocks. Um, and, and I think there's going to be some real winners there. Well, one last question. We have a Fed meeting on Wednesday. I've, there are a lot of people telling me, listen, Jim, a lot of the action you're seeing in the stock market right now directly has to do with the fact that the Fed is going to have to start tightening. Do you, look, you're a company guy. I, you really know these companies. Do you buy that? Uh, sure. Uh, you know, the, 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 that they have to tighten or, or that they will tighten. Um, 
it obviously affects the the way you think about terminal values, right? At the end yes. of the day, the cost of money it shapes what you're going to pay for long-term growth. And and so the terminal valuations of every company in the S&P today are so sensitive to the terminal um, to, to the to that terminal valuation, um, which is essentially the cost of money, right? So right. when you've got 95% of the value of every stock held in its terminal value because because the, the interest rates are so low, don't be surprised if small changes in interest rates make big changes in stock prices. All right, that's true. Let's leave it there. That's what I'm trying to get across to people. They kind of don't really relate the two. You just gave it better than I. I've said it at all. Anyway, look, congratulations to you and your team. You've done a great thing, and I've always counted on you to be a, the honest broker. You sure are, and I know that's not going to change. Craig Moffat, Moffat Davis, and founding partner and senior analyst. New company, SVB company. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Jim. Absolutely. Get my spec in for me. Coming up, with ups and downs like these, you might think this stock was in the elevator business. Which direction will MongoDB take now? Kramer's got the CEO next. Here's a question. Have you ever been prescribed a medication? Most likely, yes. Well, what about this question? Did you understand how it worked? The way your medication works in your body shouldn't be a mystery. Learn how Vivgard, Fgard Tigamod Alpha FCAB works by visiting vivgard.com slash MOA. That's V-Y-V-G-A-R-T dot com slash MOA. Brought to you by Argenix. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. the past few weeks, most of the cloud-based software names have just been laid to waste. It's really ugly. Even when they report terrific numbers, their stocks tend to roll over. But there's some exceptions that can be, let's say, buck the trend. Last Monday night, we got some excellent results from MongoDB. That's the next-generation database management platform that's beloved by app developers. And this stock actually managed to rally more than 100 bucks over the next few days after the quarter and how they do it. Simple. MongoDB, just, the numbers were just unbelievable. Uh, you couldn't ignore them. Accelerating revenue growth. Remember, that's ARG. We want that. 50% clip overall. A much smaller than expected loss. Very bullish guidance for the fourth quarter. Since then, though, MongoDB has been dragged down with the rest of the market, pulling back roughly 40 bucks from its highs last Wednesday. So could this be one worth buying, even though the broader cloud space has become totally toxic? Let's check in with Dave Idicharia. Now, Dave is the president and CEO of MongoDB. We've got to get a better in the quarter. The company's positive. And not fret about the fact that the stock was down big today because everything in this cohort was big. Dave, welcome to the show. How are you? Good, Jim. How are you? Thanks okay. for having me. Now, I have to tell you, I spent a lot of time on your website. I know your people are going to call me because I filled out everything to learn. But I do need for people to understand how come you can build faster and build smarter if we use your platform than others. Well, what MongoDB does is essentially allow developers to really work easily with data. MongoDB is designed 
to work with the way developers think and the way developers code so they can build um, applications insanely quickly, more so than any other platform. The second thing MongoDB does, it allows people to build modern applications at the next order of performance and scale. So you see all these amazing new modern applications being built on MongoDB. Okay, so uh, 1-800-Flowers. We all know, we've all ordered from it. I sat there and said to myself, okay, uh, why do I need this? If I work at 1-800-Flowers, what does this get me versus the other guy? More personalization? Faster? I mean, how does it work for me? Well, 1-800-Flowers is a very seasonal business. Obviously, around Mother's Day, around the holidays, et cetera, they're going to see a spike in demand. And you don't want to build capacity just for that peak. You want to be able to scale your demand as you need it. With MongoDB, it's a highly performant distributed database. So as your volumes increase, as your data increases, MongoDB can easily scale up and down in the cloud using our service, MongoDB Atlas. And so that's one example why people use uh, MongoDB. The second example is if 1-800-Flowers wants to move away from just flowers but offering other products and services that people can buy, it's very easy to add new SKUs because MongoDB's architecture is so flexible, enables people to do things much more quickly, and so they can offer a broad set of services and capabilities much faster than using any other platform. Now, this would be a case, I imagine, where you do pay-as-you-go, Mongo. By the way, Snowflake has that, too. One of the reasons why we love Snowflake is why do we have to pay all the time? Let's just pay when we need it. I mean, now, I know you just introduced that, but it's got to have been a success already. No, actually, we've had the consumption model where you pay as you go the whole time. What we introduced with AWS is that on the AWS marketplace, now you can just go to the AWS marketplace and go pay as you go. So we just broaden the set of capabilities. But MongoDB, you literally can start with less than a cup of coffee a month with MongoDB Atlas, get started up and running. And now we have customers who are running mission-critical workloads spending millions of dollars because they're doing something incredibly important and meaningful for their business. But you must be destroying the price structure. This must be the most disruptive uh, new way, new platform that there is because people are making fortunes off of providing this kind of thing that you do. Well, we have a lot of customers who, who come to us who see the benefits of using a much modern platform. Not only are we cheaper than the legacy component uh, offerings, but we also deal with the labor shortages. Jim, as you know, it's very hard to attract and retain labor these days. So when you move to a more modern tech stack, developers are much more productive. And when you run in the cloud, you don't have the operational overhead of having to provision, configure, and manage all that infrastructure. So it really helps organizations move fast when they're dealing with a, with a market where it's very hard to recruit people. All right, so let's take a Gap, which obviously has problems. Everybody in retail has problems trying to find someone. Gap very much wants to move faster, has to move faster, and has to move less expensively. So how do they, how, who at Gap is working right now on MongoDB? So we work with the business units, obviously, but let's step back. Obviously, Gap, as a retailer, during the pandemic got hit hard. No one was visiting their stores. So Gap, like other retailers, had to very quickly pivot to a digital-first strategy. Digital-first means using a very modern architecture, building features very, very quickly, allowing their customers to engage with you in a digital way, along with customers also suppliers and partners, and being able to do that really, really fast and doing it in a scalable way. Gap has stores all around the world and cons- customers all around the world. So much like uh, Gap, other retailers did that. 
We have a lot of retailers who are using MongoDB to, to basically engage with the customers digitally, and they're using our very scalable and agile platform to do so. So this is the same. You mentioned Verizon. I imagine the same thing there. They're, in, they're in, a, in a constant battle against ATT, constant battle against T-Mobile. They obviously have to be faster. They have to be leaner, and they can't do it without you, correct? I mean, they can't. Well, what Verizon is doing is very interesting is they're very, very focused on edge computing. With the advent of 5G and networking speeds 100 times faster than what we're used to today, you can do some very interesting things around robotics, around drones, around connected cars, around IoT sensors, and so on and so forth. So Verizon is working with us to really push the boundaries of these new next-gen applications and using MongoDB as the back end. And we're really excited about the work we're doing with Verizon. Uh, Coinbase, same thing, because there's a very disruptive uh, so-called bank in crypto. But that moves incredibly fast. Again, that's on you. Correct. Cryptocurrency is so hot today, Jim, and you know that better than anyone. And so their business is booming, but they also need to develop new services and capabilities quickly. They need to deal with peaks in trading. Trading can spike in one day by orders of magnitude, and they need to have a very scalable platform as their business grows. So all, all roads for them led to MongoDB, and we're very proud to be a partner of Coinbase. All right, one last question. If you're a CEO of a retailer right now and you're watching the show, and you don't have MongoDB. Do you call up someone and say, like, what are we doing? These other outfits have it? It does seem like there's some outfits that are clueless about this. Well, Jim, we have 31,000 customers around the world. So there's a lot of social proof. So we do uh, typically get customers calling us when they see their peers or their competitors starting to use us. And so that's really helping us grow even faster. And what I would tell you is that you know, IDC says that 500 million new apps will be built by 2023 in the, in the past five years. That's more apps than the last 40 years. So the amount of application development that's happening is enormous. People are trying to seize new opportunities as well as respond to new threats. And, and so that's giving us an opening, and they're using MongoDB to do that. And that's how you did 10 times the number of customers you did when, when you had when you came public? That's correct. That's correct. We've grown our customer account over tenfold. And what we're really seeing is a big transformation of, you know, in the enterprise. Enterprises are increasingly becoming more and more comfortable running mission-critical workloads in the cloud, but they're also being very thoughtful. They're looking to use best-of-breed solutions, and they're looking to use technologies like MongoDB versus just the vanilla offerings from the cloud provider, and that's also helping our growth. Because, as you know, there was a big cloud outage last week, sure. and with MongoDB, we run across multiple clouds. So you don't have to rewrite one line of code to move your workload from, say, one cloud provider to another. And that gives customers a lot of peace of mind. Well, I've learned so much just in like the, this 10 minutes. I mean, you are your company, something. Uh, David Ichara, president and CEO of MongoDB. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me. Guys, not there's this. These guys in Snowflake, OK, are the only two that are growing like this. You can understand they're going to get a higher price to earnings, higher price to sales multiple because they deserve it. Now, I think there's room in a portfolio for one or two of these. That's about all. But these guys have to be considered. And money's back in. Right. Coming up. Kramer has a special interview that will take you inside the Starbucks labor dispute. The latest from Buffalo, next. That 
were some of the Starbucks workers in Buffalo last week reacting to the results of the vote to unionize at the Elmwood Avenue store? This is a big deal. It's the first ever Starbucks to be unionized in the U.S., which is a major win for organized labor, even if it didn't win in some other places. One of the great untold stories right now is the resurgence of the labor movement. Right now, workers have a lot of leverage. And while that's not great news for the stock market, I can't blame anyone for exercising the right to collective bargaining. We are seeing it with workers at Deere, who got a substantially better deal than first thought, and at Kellogg, where the company has a plan to replace striking workers who want more money. But what exactly does it mean for workers at a single Starbucks to unionize? Last week, we heard from Kevin Johnson, the CEO of Starbucks. Now, you know how mad money works. I thought it was only fair to hear the other side of the story, because it could impact you if you own Starbucks stock. And that's why we're thrilled to speak to Michelle Eisen, an employee at the Starbucks on Elmwood Avenue in Buffalo, and now a member of the Starbucks Workers United. Ms. Eisen, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I'm glad you are. I, I thought that I just wanted to give you the floor. Tell us what the union will uh, you think can do for you and what it will mean in terms of collective bargaining, perhaps even with Starbucks uh, management. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I've been with the company for a little over 11 years. And what I'm hoping to get from this union is a seat at the table. You know, it's it's been a very long time with a company where I've not had any sort of say in my working conditions or the benefits that the company offers or really anything. And it would be nice to have um, a voice in that company, a company that I love. I mean, I wouldn't still be here if I didn't. Well, do you think uh, as a, let's say you get the union certified, you're an employee of the union, that it's also employee of Starbucks. Can the union have leverage if it's just one Starbucks store? I think that's a great question. I think this is the beginning. You know, a movement has to start somewhere and it needed to start with one with one store. And I think just like you said in your introduction, this is a new wave for the labor movement in Buffalo for organized labor. Um, people, workers are standing up and, and demanding that they get the respect that they deserve for the 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 profits that are earned off of our backs. And so I do think, I think what, what we need to do now is we need to have Starbucks acknowledge that this union exists. We need to get them to the bargaining table, hopefully sooner rather than later. And then we negotiate that contract. And it's that contract that is going to uh, allow for other stores to want to follow in our footsteps. You know, we get a great contract and, you know, what would be, what would be the loss of signing on? So you believe that Starbucks may give workers at your Starbucks a better deal than the 200,000 other workers get at other Starbucks? Well, I know that, you know, I would certainly never sign a union contract where I was getting less than I'm getting now. So, yes, I would I would hope that they would. I mean, they're a progressive company. Starbucks has always claimed that they were a company that stood with their workers and stood with the community and that they were they were, you know, a prince among men better than a lot of the companies in this country for what they offer for their workers Um, Their mission and values says that it's, you know, what they want to do is continue to challenge the status quo and they can lead by example. I mean, they can set an example for other businesses in the service industry and, you know, take some of the stigma and the fear out of unionizing and say, you know what, it would be nice to have to hear from our hourly workers. It would be nice to have a voice from them because nobody knows how to run these stores better than the people who are on the floors every day. Well, if you're not uh, taken seriously, would, would you ever go on strike? I think there are definitely options in the future. I mean, I hope that it would they would take us seriously. We're we're their brand, you know. We're we're their name, and they've not um, really led by example so far in terms of how they've fought this union from the moment we went public. 
I think that that could potentially hurt them in the long run, certainly publicly. Public persona to Starbucks is very important. They're a globally recognized brand. So um, it would be in all of our best interests to get to that bargaining table as quickly as possible. But so uh, I own a couple of restaurants, and so I follow the industry pretty closely. Uh, and I recognize that I pay a certain amount, but that there are other restaurants that pay far less, uh, particularly the franchise office. And I'm wondering whether Starbucks doesn't pay more than most of the companies in Buffalo who have a similar posture and do what you do. Um, I think they're they're competitive in terms of what they do offer. It is not significantly more. And sometimes it's, it's even less. We have a local coffee chain uh, in Western New York and in, in uh, the, the close Canadian surrounding areas. And um, their starting rate right now is more than I currently make an hour at Starbucks after 11 years. Huh. OK. Uh, that's surprising. Uh, I would think that given the fact that Starbucks paid uh, $2.3 billion in dividends last year, that that, that, that would not be the case. Uh, yes. is it, but at the same time, there were other uh, Starbucks that did not vote in favor of the union. Now, they were. Would you then try to persuade them that perhaps they're not seeing it the right way? Or do you expect that they might come to your store and say, look, if we all work together, you don't need the union. We can get things better in Buffalo. Um, well, there was only three that had petitioned and that were in the process of voting. And one of those is being challenged. And more than likely, that store will also unionize. As for the store that voted no in, in a very close margin, I mean, that can really just that shows you the strength of the anti-union campaign. That was a store that filed with um, a significant majority, significant majority, and were turned on their head, turned upside down by Starbucks anti-union campaign when they all moved into Buffalo three months ago and have not left. I mean, right right up the line all the way to the, the president of Starbucks North America, Ross N. Williams, who is essentially living in Buffalo now. Right. So I think that is less to the workers not wanting to unionize and more to what had been thrown at them and just um, the awful sort of circumstances that we've all had to exist within the last three months of them all being here. But at the same time, you've been there 11 years. You clearly like it. I mean, you know, obviously don't want to go anywhere. Um, I think it's a shame that it's it sound, you know, that this is happening in the sense that it sounds like that you feel you're being intimidated. Uh, at the same time, obviously, Starbucks is the prince. You're you're right. I mean, I, I think Starbucks is a great American company. And I know that there are other companies don't that would never pay you or give you the benefits that you're getting. Uh, I'm wondering if they're just maybe they're not communicating what they give you. Maybe it's that. No, I mean, I think that there may be some new hires that are not given all of the information. And that certainly lends itself to why we need a bigger a bigger voice and a, a bigger line of communication. Correct. Um, but after 11 years, I'm pretty aware of the benefits that are offered to me. And what I've seen happen in the last five years with this company is I've seen the cost of benefits go up and I've seen the quality of the coverage go down. So, yes, on paper, I think that it, they do look like they offer some significant benefits. But I think what you also have to take into account is that there are a lot of um, and a lot of employees at Starbucks that these benefits are simply inaccessible to them. I mean, most of them make so far below the income threshold that they still qualify for Medicaid. So they don't even need to take advantage of the benefits that Starbucks offers. So I would love for them to be the company that they are on paper. And I think there was a point in history when they truly were. What we're saying from the inside is that, you know, things are not as wonderful as they appear to be. And we want to help the company get back to that. 
You know, we had a choice. I had a choice as an 11 year partner when we worked through the pandemic and conditions were not great and the company was not looking after us. You know, we were not being allotted additional labor to take care of our stores and keep ourselves safe. And it got to a point where I had two options. I could walk away from a company that I devoted so much of my life to with people that I really enjoyed being around and customers that I truly loved, or I could try to make the company better from the inside. And, right. you know, unionizing seemed to be the only way to do that. Well, well, one last question. When, when they closed, you were not an essential worker in an essential store. When they closed, they still paid you, correct? Well, we were only closed for a very short period of time. Okay. And we were paid a percentage of what we brought in, which I'm not saying that that's, there's, that's anything to, to scoff at. I mean, it was, it was nice to have that option. Um, but then when we did reopen, we reopened essentially in the same situation of when we closed. I mean, this was May of 2020 that we reopened. We were very, very, very much in the pits of this pandemic. Right. And the company did not step up. You know, we were not given the appropriate measures to keep ourselves safe. Well, uh, you know, look, I wanted to give you the floor. I I, you know, can't devote the show to it, but I think it's an interest. Look, this is a different time. Uh, Workers are are trying to get to do better. And I think that that's great. And I'm glad you came on the show. Thank you so much. That's Michelle Eisen, an employee at the Buffalo Starbucks store that voted to unionize. Look, I think it's a different time. And I totally respect that. I've been a member of two unions fought hard and try to get more money. I think that that's the, certainly the worker's right. Uh, but it's obviously more than just money that's at stake here. And that's good, too. That money's back here. Too. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next. And then the light round's over. Are you ready, Ski Dad? Have a light round comes on over George in Florida. George. Thank you for taking my call. George, I up. have two questions. Okay. Do you think Neo will delist from the exchange and go to the Hong Kong exchange? And my second question, do you think I should get out now? I don't like Neo. Uh, I think it's too risky. So the answer is I would get out and get out soon. Let's go to Bob in New York. Bob. Jim, thanks for speaking with me. No problem. Jim, this company recently had a common stock offering. It also has an attractive dividend and has navigated the pandemic efficiently. My question is if the Fed implements the first increase by 50 basis points in February or March, how will this impact Starwood Property Trust? It's not good down a couple of bucks. They probably go down immediately a couple of bucks. So, I mean, if that's what your concern is, then you should know that because people will sell that kind of stock. It's what they do regardless of the company, which is a quite good one. Let's go to Nancy in Massachusetts. Nancy. Happy Monday, Jim. Hey, happy Monday to you. What's going on? Um, I'm looking for your insights on a stock that represents stores I shop in a lot and enjoy. TJF. I think TTX is unique among a lot of the retail stocks that's holding up here. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to continue all up because the retail stocks have been completely blasted. But they had a great quarter, and I think that if I, if I wanted to, I would buy some now and then buy some a little bit lower because, like I said, retail stocks are being obliterated. Let's go to Carl in Texas. Carl. Hi, Jim. Thank you so much for taking my call. Of course. Um, so last year, when you and some of your CNBC cohorts were saying that uh, – 
oil and gas was uninvestable. I bought shares in Brookfield Energy Partners, symbol BEP. Right. Well, BEP is a good company uh, because uh, I believe in the I believe in the SG story. But remember, these are it's a yielder. It yields only three point six. This is a market that's punishing. Every stock in this particular field, whether they should or not, I don't know, but that's what they're doing. Let's go to Mitch in New York. Mitch. Hi, Jim Kramer. Thank you for taking my question. Oh, With Vifrit, the spin-off from Pfizer coming off from its 52-week low of $11.96, now at $12.55, down 15 cents. Would you recommend purchasing more it, it's shares? It's just such an inexpensive company? stock. I don't have a catalyst, though, sir. I have no catalyst. It's just inexpensive. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, when the market wins, the worker doesn't always follow into the fast lane. Does Jay Powell have the tools to balance the boom? Don't miss Kramer's take. Next. When a company does well, that doesn't necessarily mean their employees do well. When a company can raise prices, they don't always raise wages. Last week at the CBC Investment Club meeting, I talked about how the economy is booming right now. But the boom is extremely uneven. Some workers are doing well. Some are winning big concessions. Others are making the presence known through unions. Gear workers got a new contract after a prolonged strike. And a union managed something I consider unthinkable. They organized a Starbucks store. But then Kellogg fired 1,400 unionized workers last week in order to break a strike showing that some companies feel they can find plenty of new employees despite the great resignation. Perhaps the most uneven aspect of the entire situation, though, is inflation. Unless you're getting a raise, and a lot of people are, then it's harder to afford the things you used to be able to buy before the pandemic, especially at the supermarket. When inflation is running at 2%, it's not much of a stretch, especially with wages on the rise. But when inflation is at 4% plus consistently, it does need to be stopped. And unfortunately, the Federal Reserve only has one real way to do it, cooling down the economy by raising interest rates. Now, it's clear to me that Jay Powell knows a series of rate hikes will be bad news for people who work for a living, but he doesn't have a choice right now. Maybe he can catch a break if we can somehow fix the supply chain crisis, make it cheaper to get goods to market, but I wouldn't bet on it. Certainly not with a new strain of COVID lurking. The thing is, interest rates are so low that I doubt even four rate hikes would slow down the red-hot housing market, which has been a big driver of inflation. Higher rates won't slow down the auto market either. Again, because they're just too low to impact sales and demand is too great. Prices at the supermarket are not going to come down with a rate hike. So where can higher rates have an impact? Well, first, I think they cool off the stock market. We know the market's been creating wealth at unprecedented levels, both for everyday investors and super wealthy. Regular investors are getting money from higher stock prices. The super rich are winning from insider selling, both on IPOs and more traditional insider sales. That creates something called the wealth effect, where higher asset values drive spending in the rest of the economy. The Fed can easily tamp that down, although it's only a small part of the pie. Second, right now you can borrow against your assets at such low rates that it's like free money. That free money makes it easy for any wealthy person or enterprise to spend fortunes on big projects. Higher rates will tamp that down. But again, small part of the pie. Third, and this is what I most fear, if Powell hits us with a series of lockstep rate hikes, that can strangle the life out of industries that rely on financing, namely housing and autos. These are two industries that punch well above their weight in the economy. And if the Fed takes a hawkish turn, it could do a lot of damage in that aggressive tightening scenario. And the stock market will get clocked 
which is why Wednesday's upcoming Fed meeting is such an important moment for Jay Powell and for you and me. If he recognizes that the economy won't be cooled by tapering bond purchases and hitting us with a few rate hikes, he might signal higher rates faster than we'd like, even though he knows that much of this inflation simply can't be solved until we beat COVID. No matter what, though, I don't think Powell can slam the brakes on the economy that quickly. But he sure can hurt the stock market if he believes that somehow tamping down on inflation means tamping down the stock market. It drives me nuts because we can solve so much of this inflation if the government would just take a harder line in the pandemic. That's what's driving so many of the shortages. However, in the absence of political leadership on this issue, we have to fall back on the Federal Reserve. And all they can do is raise rates. Not the ideal solution. But it's better than turning into Argentina. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.